sit together in the dark. They speak. Their voices rise together. Their voices fall together. One voice speaks of this, the other of that. When they join, their words turn into flames, their voices into fire. This is Voice of the Fire, a podcast about storytelling. Hello and welcome. My name is Sebastian and this is Voice of the Fire, a podcast about storytelling. In this episode we are staying far north, in the north of Europe. And from Finland we're going through to Scandinavia. We are moving to Norway. The landscape in Norway, as far as storytelling goes, is much less barren than what you find in Finland. Storytelling here has a longer uninterrupted tradition, or perhaps a revived tradition. They might profit from their closeness to the British Isles, when many Norwegians speaking excellent English can go and um, ply their trade as storytellers telling traditional Scandinavian tales, so in a way they are the direct heirs of the old bards and skulls who went across the ocean to sing their songs and tell their stories. Norway has several storytelling festivals and has had them for a good amount of time. There is even there are even storytelling courses taught at several universities, mostly as part of um, either an an education as an actor, an education in the arts, or an education as an educator. For it is thought that teachers would have to be good storytellers. As far as Norwegian stories and the classical folk tales go, they probably are not that well known, although they certainly have been collected and translated. Many of the stories are uh, tales of wit, with two people who try to outwit each other. Some of them are just um, more like lengthy jokes than actual stories, just a situation where one peasants trying to outwit a priest, or a priest is trying to outwit a a cuckolded gentleman, or the devil is trying to outwit a priest. This is is classical, and the uh, further you go towards the 20th century, the more psychological these stories and tales become. Keenly observed, quite often with an eye for the darkness in the human soul. As far as real traditional folk tales go, one of the most well-known folk tales is East of the Sun and West of the Moon. This is a very, very classical tale in which um, a white bear 
approaches a poor peasant and asks him for the hand of his prettiest and youngest daughters, and in return he will give him great wealth. And when the uh, peasant reluctantly agrees, the bear takes the girl off to a rich and enchanted castle. And he takes off his bear form in order to be a man, in order to be with the girl as a man, although he always does that in complete darkness. So while the girl can, after a certain while of getting to know him, touch his body, he, she can never see him. And he tells that is important, and that is very important, that she will never see him. But after a while, staying in this beautiful castle, the girl becomes terribly homesick. And the bear, because he cannot really uh, stand hearing her complain, and hearing her weep, and her sadness touches him. He says, yes, of course you can go home, but under one condition you will never tell anyone anything while you're with them alone you can talk to your mother you can talk to your father you can talk to your sisters but only when other people are around and when she comes home they throw a great feast and they're very happy and that mother is so curious she keeps harping on her and she keeps persisting that her daughter will tell her what come tell me alone you can trust me i'm your mother and after after a lot of um of these insistent attempts she succeeds in persuading her and the girl tells her the whole tale while they are alone and the mother insists that this white bear must be a troll and that she must light some candles that she must you know lay bare his face so the youngest daughter obeys she does that she tricks the bear man into um Listen, she lights a candle in front of him and finds that he's not a troll, not a monster at all, but a very, very charming and attractive prince. And while she sees that, she spills three drops of the tallow of the candle that she's holding above his sleeping face on his shirt. And these hot drops of wax, of melted tallow, they wake him up. He looks at her and tells her if she only had held out for one year, he would have been free because he is under a curse. But now he must go to his wicked stepmother who enchanted him into this shape and who lives in a castle east of the sun and west of the moon. And he must go there to marry her daughter, a hideous troll princess. And so the palace vanishes. Everything disappears. And the girl finds herself alone on barren earth. The prince is gone. And so she sets out in search of him. And the rest of the tale follows her as she keeps searching for the castle east of the sun and west of the moon. I'm not going to tell the entire story now I might do that later in another episode in one of the storytelling episodes not the interview episodes but if you are curious there are very very beautiful illustrations by one of the absolute 
princes, one of the absolute geniuses of fairy tale illustration, the Danish illustrator Kai Nielsen, who illustrated very richly, I think it's about 20 illustrations that he did for East of the Sun and West of the Moon alone. And they are very, very unique and absolutely stunningly beautiful. So if you are interested, go have a look at Kai Nielsen's beautiful illustrations for East of the Sun and West of the Moon. With me today to talk more about storytelling in Norway and about his own way as a storyteller is a very, very remarkable and interesting Norwegian storyteller by the name of Torgrim Mellumstene. Welcome once more to Voice of the Fire. Today our guest is a Norwegian performance storyteller, Torgrim Mellumstene. Hello, Torgrim. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, Would you, thanks what, for having me. Well, thank you for being here. If somebody hears the words performance storyteller and your name for the first time, how, what would you say to give them an impression of who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah. That is a good question, <laughs> actually. I've, uh, I, was, uh, I was just asked that question uh, yesterday. What is, what, uh, by, 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 by someone studying rhetorics, actually, or like uh, uh, one of the big, uh, how do you call that, rhetoricians <laughs> in, I think in Norway? A, yeah, uh, I, I don't know the, the exact <laughs> word, probably. Yeah, yeah so he, he, had a, he had a bit of an angle with storytelling and uh, talked a lot about storytelling uh, from the academic point of view and from the you know rhetorical point of view. And I, uh, <clears throat> I was, he was like, what, what, what is your idea of storytelling what is it to you and when you work with something uh, or what is what does it mean and when you are working with something so so much and it becomes this part of you uh, there are some things that have just become implicit and it's hard to to grasp what does it really mean but um i um it's, what i what i answer to him is that uh that what is important i what i, I feel is this uh sense of trying to whatever whatever it is the thing about storytelling is what always I'm I'm drawn to is the I suppose this creating but also this kind of uh, connection and uh, through the story and to to promote a sense of uh, wonder I think is always important to me mm-hmm. as like a guideline to what 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 I do um, or what I'm what I'm drawn towards just to um, uh, since I, well, since since I was a boy, I was always drawn towards these mythical worlds because they, I felt like they opened up the world, in a way, and uh, that's kind of that's that's my kind of wish maybe to to join in and create these open worlds again that can expand uh, in in a connection with an audience, and um, I don't know if that actually <laughs> was a reply to what you said, but it's a start uh, for a conversation a because start. I wonder. Opening up, how do you mean that? Does it open up to a different world? Does it open up into wider spaces? I think it, <clears throat> it both opens up to a different world, but also like maybe like a world that can mirror our own, and then uh, help help see, uh, ideally to help help to see that that as an audience member and also me as a teller can see more spaces in our own uh, own life. I, I always find that how myth and also story 
so fascinating fascinated about the fact that by really delving into it and, and working in fiction there is a, uh, there is like it's a, it's a medium to to really uh, create, as you say, create new space in our own life. That's that's what, at least what I've I've felt. I've 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 come to realize something that I mean I've I've told stories. Sometimes you get a, you you are asked to to tell a story that is more like a commission, uh, or to develop something specific. But when I also uh, choose stories myself, or I'm called to 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 tell, then uh, if it's from the from a mythical or folktale perspective, I, I usually I didn't think that they had anything to do with me. I just thought I, I liked the story. When I look at it in uh, hindsight. I can really see that every single story I've chosen had a kind of psychological element. It, it reflected where I was at that time, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so in a sense, it's, it's another world that, that way. But it's also uh, there's always kind of some, some resonance with some space within me whenever a story appears, or I, I feel like ah, I'm called to tell this story now uh, and to to bring it out. Yeah, I find this to be an important um, aspect of writing as well. If you work on a story, you have, or usually I have no, often I have no idea where the story is supposed to go. I just follow yeah, the yeah. idea, okay, that seems about right, this direction, and then I hope yeah, that yeah. the overall shape is there. But if I look at it much later, I do see much more. I see a driving uh, guideline or a driving force that I hadn't noticed at the time I was exactly, doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's it's always the intuition comes first and then the analysis comes later. Usually yeah, it, it has I, to I've be. learned this to accept when I get this really crazy idea somewhere I didn't I don't understand logically how it fits, I just go with it now. Before I would maybe resist it, but now I've learned it always ends up being maybe the best part of the story when it comes like that, just like a boof. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it's a crazy inspiration, a bit of a sudden <laughs> fire is. that hits you. It, yeah. it does happen. And it, it's, I think, of course, the analytical part is, is the enemy of, of creativity, especially not, not when you're done with it or not when you're thinking no, no, about no. what you're going to do. But while yeah. you are writing, while you are creating something, you, you, you shouldn't, in my experience, you shouldn't be analytical about it because it stops you dead. Yeah, it does, it does. Then it, uh, it's very easy to enter it like realms that are a bit like all about fear and the... And you can get into this thing about not not daring yeah. to take another step, in a sense. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. It's freezing. I, uh, it is. It is. I actually uh, uh, did some uh, workshops with uh, with, a, with, a, with a guy called Leo Sofer. He's uh, English. Uh, he, he's, he's does storytelling, but he's not like doing the storytelling in, in the ordinary scene. But he started do, working with things like intuitive storytelling. That's what he mm. what he called it. Now I participated in the workshop with them. It's basically the idea is basically just to allow the imagery to flow within, uh, like, like a pure right brain thing, and just tell a story from whatever comes up without having an having an endpoint. Mm-hmm. And I, that is that is, <clears throat> and uh, even though it's not something that always works as a as a performance thing, it's uh, it's a very good uh, exercise to go all the way there too. Whenever working with a story, I find mm-hmm. by myself, I, I, I yeah. Sure, and then you can cut away the excess so when you realize you start to ramble, you can just yeah, exactly. make it a bit shorter then. Yeah, come back in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting, um, I keep, um, because performance storyteller is the, that's like an English term, and I, I, also, I also know it's a bit debated, it's not uh, in, in, in the UK that it's not so well used or 
sort of as, as in my what I what I heard in Scotland as it is like in England, but and here here in Norway we have uh, very different terms. We have uh, uh, like muntli for teller, which means like a verbal uh, ver- like a oral storyteller. Mm-hmm. And we have a storyteller artist, and we have stage storyteller. We have these different mm-hmm. terms that are, and we haven't really landed on anything. And people call themselves something you try to differentiate from, you know, because storytelling in the in the business life, uh, I guess probably all over Europe, all over the Western world now, at least in Norway, storytelling is so in. And uh, in the list reiteration I talked about yesterday, it was really talking about storytelling. But when he talks about storytelling, he says storytelling in English. So that's mm-hmm. like. Uh, in, in the Norwegian uh, language, so that's that's the new new invert. So it's all about, yeah. But I I think it's uh, similar in German. It is this sort of um, it's a business strategy or an advertisement strategy. That's what this yeah, exactly. this storytelling usually refers to. Mm-hmm. But um, but the story it's like. Uh, Sorry, the storytelling okay. you are cool. doing is something completely different from that, obviously. I'm just trying to get it back to slightly yeah. more general terms for people who maybe don't know the world of storytelling or the, the various uh, layers sure, yeah. or the various camps of it. So, mm. in the most basic terms, what you're doing is what? In most basic terms, I am... Um I'm telling a story uh, in a live uh, for, for a live audience in a live setting, uh, and I am uh, telling a story mostly with, an, with a sketch that I have uh, more or less uh, fixed, and uh, I tell it without the fourth wall to an audience, and I respond to the context that I'm in and to the, the room I'm in, the audience that I'm in. But I'm, I'm uh, and uh, and I try to and. And I and I share. For me, the one of the main ideas also is that I'm standing there in the essence of sharing, the sharing the story with the audience. Uh, in some cases, some of the things that I do can be more, well, more theatrical in the sense that it's, there's, there's more of a division, that there's more of a fourth wall maybe in the sense that the the, the piece is more complete. But this is uh, this is this goes for some performances, but. Uh, Usually, what I do is it has has no fourth wall and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in in the sense of sharing, and the material that I, I I work with is basically everything from all kinds of material, basically from the folk tales and the myths to the personal tales based on my own life, uh, to, um, to from bigger epics to smaller smaller stories, and also things I've written myself or. Uh, well, not written exactly because I never write anything, but uh, uh, made myself, and uh, and his, things based on history. So it's it's a very uh, whatever whatever is, is inspires me basically. Uh, so, so these would be adaptations. Like, like what? These would be adaptations. You take a source material Ad- and you rework yes. it into something that you are comfortable with. And something something else, and uh, yeah, in a way, just making a. Yeah, some historical event, and I create a story out of it uh, based on the, whatever material is there, and then try to combine. But I also like combining, and I like uh, taking things to more. But I like unpredictability. Uh, that's one of the things, and uh, and um, I, I I also love. I think one of the main things, I think one themes that I can find is something that I have a story, and it goes somewhere. And then suddenly there are shifts. I like these shifts. Uh, and to co- to combine the light and the dark and the humor and the seriousness, 
uh, to go to be very light and very deep. I, I like that uh, con contrast and uh, the, the, like the, the play between the two levels. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I have some. Uh, I mean, I have um, two, my my two big inspirations for for storytellers are basically my grandfathers. Uh, uh, I used I used to mythologize them in saying that, which is this is true in a sense that. My my mother's father was a grand, was a captain of the air because he was uh, in the air force, and my uh, my father's father was a captain of the sea, and uh, they both told a lot of stories and and um, and what <clears throat> I don't know a lie a lie is a bit unkind term I think but uh, <laughs> I wish there was a different word for it the myth is too big but it's like a, uh, like a very 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 fun, uh, yeah, like a tweaking of reality maybe but uh, they, they, they both uh, love telling me stories I remember um, my mother's father he he told me when I was eight years old you know the you know the sagas the Norse sagas they uh, they are, of course there's a big part of the, the old Norwegian skald tradition and the, the saga tradition uh, the storytelling tradition in Norway and these sagas of all these kings and uh, what they what they went were up to and uh, he told me about this very famous uh, warrior poet, Aigil uh, Skala Grimson, which was really a, not a very nice human being when you look at the actual tale. But he told, um, at least in a modern context, but he told this story about when this this poet was locked in a in a dungeon by a king who wanted to kill him the next following day, and Aigil um, uh, during that night he he composed this hymn, this uh, like to to be praised uh, praise the king. And he recited it just before his execution to the king, and then the king was so moved um, by the that he spared his life. And I remember at eight that I thought, I want to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, not uh, not in that particular context, <laughs> but uh, but there was something in that that I drew on to. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, I, yeah. I, I was I was pulled by that, and um, yeah. And my, my father's father also, he, we used to sit around the globe, me and my cousins, and he would just spin the globe, and we would close, uh, he would close his eyes, and he would just point, and whatever he landed his finger, he would start telling his story from where he, when he was there. Of course, he hadn't been everywhere, but he just, he could just improvise a story on the spot about anything. So those two, uh, there's, there's something in the genes there, <laughs> as well as, as the, the, the love of the, the sharing, and uh, uh, that, I, that I have with me. And... Uh, <clears throat> I actually I call myself uh, the, the well it's in Norwegian it's Klöverkinekten that's the name of my website I call my it means the jack of clubs and um, that's from my mother's father because that's he told a lot of stories from his own life and one of the stories he told the most because he was this I told you he was a captain of the air so he was at this air force base in Oslo close to Oslo and one night he um what not one night he one one day he went into the officer's mass and uh, mess mess not the mass that's like yeah. But um, there was a guy sitting there uh, playing solitaire, which was, uh, he was, he I, and my grandfather outranked him. And he suddenly got this inspiration, just this idea, an intuition, if you will, like, uh, and he just said, put your cards away. And uh, he, he just did. And then my grandfather took the cards, shuffled them together, and laid the deck down. And then he said, now I will uh, pull out the jack of clubs. And he cut the deck. And th there was the jack of clubs. And actually, it wasn't the card trick, it was just pure, uh, pure blind luck. And my grandfather just felt, I'm going to do it now. And then he was asked, how did you do that? Well, I said I was going to, so I had to. And then he thought, I have to go straight out because that's uh, good dramaturgy, so they can talk about this. And he told <laughs> us this story like uh, several times a year. So actually, when, when he passed away, and I realized in a way that 
his dream of becoming an actor or performing was more alive through me. I, I kind of named my my kind of small business. It's like it's like an artist name, the the Jacob Clubs in Norwegian, from that story, and also it's a symbol that of, of, of what we share together. It was also one of my first stories, uh, telling about our relationship, uh, first bigger stories like a, a long long form form. I have. Yeah. Mm. I have I, I have uh, had a look at your website, cleverknechten dot n o. We will put it into the the description when we put this mm. podcast up, so everybody can have a look at it. And you can see, for one thing, the check of clubs which you just mentioned, and quite a wealth of other performances. And what I found very, very striking looking through them is that the descriptions of them, they read almost like uh, the descriptions of novels. So they are very dense <laughs> and very, very diverse yeah. tales. Yeah, and I, I haven't uh, updated the, the last few years, actually. So it's, oh, uh, so it's like it's, twice it's as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, not twice as much, but <laughs> there are some more. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, when it comes to like you know types of storytellers, I know there are... Uh, uh, there is, of course, some storytellers with uh, quite a huge repertoire of of, of, uh, of stories, and uh, I don't um, I don't know if I have, in a way, that huge repertoire in a sense. But I also, but I have, but I, but I, I focus what I what I love most, what I enjoy most. Uh, not that I always end up doing it, but what I enjoy most is creating these really big that I that the story is like a big world, and that uh, that it uh, that that it lasts. Uh, an hour or 90 minutes, that's my ideal situation. It's not always I can do that, especially not in storytelling festivals where you're often also asked to do smaller things, which I also enjoy. But my favorite thing is basically the more epic thing and uh, to delve into that and to really and to create that and just step into this uh, other world. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy details and, uh, in, 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 that, in that sense. I mean, I'm... Um, <clears throat> Uh, you, you did meet me together with uh, my two uh, colleagues slash brothers from uh, the group Three Troubadours. Yes. Uh, Marcus uh, from Finland, Marcus Lukulen from Finland, and Tom van Utrio from Belgium, and we are all um, very much. We have our, you know, we are also focusing on our different strengths and qualities, and uh, I mean, uh, and we are, we are, we are alike, but also very different in what we enjoy, and that also gives for an interesting mix in our performances together. But that's my like uh, biggest passion to this. Uh, uh, yeah, huge worlds, worlds, and uh, I think as a, as a kid, I probably escaped a lot from the reality into into uh, fiction, and, um, uh, and uh, then I, I I managed to get back, but I still want to kind of there is something I brought with me this kind of um, wonder of that uh, and to to, to communicate that it's, it's it's lovely, and I think I also feel this uh, now in these these days being a storyteller feels more important than ever and I think more about what stories I tell now uh, or uh, what stories I should choose I can choose to tell because of the what I see is as a quite uh, volatile if I can use that word like a situation in the world at least in the, the western hemisphere and uh, with the things that are happening and that there's a lot of contrasts and I feel I think even more now about what stories are we telling and also like on a macro scale what stories do we tell and the media the stories the fake news and all that there are so many there's a storytelling in all these different levels and um, I once was uh, at the uh, festival for philosophers and storytellers and uh, one philosopher there because like a combination of the two and the philosopher there said that we really should be take care we storytellers because we really we are our, our craft and our 
kind of our technology in a sense, which is the stories, is quite emotionally manipulative at its best and worst in a sense. Absolutely. And we should really take, and we should really take care of what, what stories we tell. He said that. I, re I really um, thought a lot about that uh, because he was almost like shocked at how, uh, because he was very cerebral, this philosopher, you know, very left, I mean left brain kind of, that he was analytical in things. So it had to do about that as well, but I also thought that that is important to, to be aware of. When, when we have a, uh, there is a power to that if you really can connect uh, to these, these stories and and the media and the commercials, the advertisement, they're all storytellers. So they are all storytellers in a way, but what kind, yeah. There's different mediums and, yeah. Yeah, it's very easy to be honest. And it's very hard to be honest, to tell an honest story or to tell something that there's the the hardest thing to do is to tell something that is true because as soon as you look for truth you find out yeah. well is that true why is that true yeah, yeah, yeah that is a, that is an entire chapter um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really uh, i really like a lot uh, that uh, that question because uh, to me it's uh, in a sense uh, yeah there is no because there is no such thing as an obje a totally objective truth uh, in any case even though I do tell stories from my own life, and uh, and I'm fully aware that uh, whatever story I tell is colored by my own perception, and no memory is ever fully objective, and it's all subjectively filtered. And I, I think uh, this question, is it true? It's like, it's it's too black and white uh, to me, but that, that might be also my uh, my my childhood, that I, I went in and out of fiction and truth, and I feel there's, to me, the line is more blurry. I don't think think of it that important to define this is true and this is not, because I do think there is, like, actually, I, <clears throat> I think sometimes that if, if truth is, 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 is uh, like uh, an idea, then uh, uh, maybe... Uh, scientific fact is uh, is is, uh, is like it's an it's an approximation to the truth in a way, but also story and myth is also an approximation of the truth through fiction. Mm -hmm. You use fact and fi both fact and fiction can be a way to reach the truth, but none of them are the truth. Uh, that's yeah. that's something I I believe at least. No, I agree uh, with you. I don't think it's something that you can find. It usually is just a way to get your mind yeah. moving or to get to look exactly. at things from a different uh, point of view. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a, yeah, like a fishing line or a, something you, uh, uh, like a shining star or something like that, a guiding star. But um, it's, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting too that I always, uh, yeah, this this thing, but uh, this, this this thing about truth and fiction. It's was always fascinated me. Maybe also because my my childhood was a bit blurred <laughs> in that sense. But uh, there's a lot of my strongest experiences I've been through. And actually, uh, as my background as well is not only through the, the classical storytelling, but I, I also grew up. You know, I grew up in the late 80s, 90s, and uh, I also grew up a lot with uh, like early computer games and uh, uh, with really with also which are also filled with stories and I'm inspired by role-playing games as well like that kind of trend there yeah. and I can see there are some things from from that world that I also have with me in my in my uh, in my performances that there are there's of course you're inspired by everything you have with you in a way um, so I'm fascinated by that as well do any specific t uh, games come to mind? Because that's my my own childhood, so I'm sure I will recognize a couple <laughs> of those. Well, well, actually, the thing is that I, I've been working with with a performance like this, uh, which has uh, haunted, uh, blessed me for 
since 2008 when I first uh, conceived of the idea, and I, it's actually based on the originally mainly based on this uh, computer game series uh, Quest Quest for Glory. I don't know if you no, I know don't about actually that. know that one. No, no, it's uh, it's uh, like it's more like a, you know adventure game from Sierra Online, and uh, and uh, it's 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 a game about what, trying to be a hero. It's basically like a hero's journey quest, basically over four games, uh, actually five, and uh, in different mythological contexts. And uh, I played that during puberty, and for me it was really like this enormous mirror for the like like the old folk tales were mirrors for this. Uh, the, the, some some of the some of those tales at least were kind of like ways of like Red Riding Hood could be, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like ways of dealing with puberty for girls and boys, and. Yeah. Um, uh, and, from, and, and those computer games had that effect on me as well, and had the same function in a way as the folktales had. And uh, I felt like they were the same concept, just upgraded in a new medium. And so I wanted to talk about, I wanted to make a performance where I explored that connection between like the, the mythology of the games, uh, maybe in real life, uh, real world mythology, and my own puberty. And then I thought that would be an easy thing, and I got some support for it. And I realized it's not only about me in the puberty; it's also about me as a thirty-something. And um, it became actually more and more about uh, looking at life. Uh, so, so basically, this virtual world and uh, and and the real life it, it started just really growing and expanding. And I've been now working on it on and off for nine years, and uh, it might. It might it might come into fruition soon, <laughs> but I've said that so many times before that uh, I don't really know yet anymore. <laughs> but it, it's been like this, uh, uh, like you have like you have a companion by your side, like this big project that, and some sometimes when you've done it for too long, you feel like oh I can't do possibly do this now because it's uh, it's too big. But now, and I've gone through many stages with it, but it's been a very interesting journey. And um, because I'm very fascinated about this, this kind of the, the old and the new and the, the put together. Uh, like uh, I'm both very, very retro and nostalgic, and also a bit uh, futuristic at the same time <laughs> in my outlook sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. I think that could actually strike a nerve because there is this um, ties into some things that I wonder about myself, especially uh, concerning storytelling in mainstream media. That yeah. most of what we're doing now is we're try we're still um, it's like these stories can't get out of puberty. If you look at um, superhero no, movies, if you look at all that's these games, they're stuck, yeah. and they are yes. unwilling to move yes. out of this. They're unwilling to grow that's out of this. Perhaps because they're limited by the the genre itself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's 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 yeah. nice. That's something that that I think would resonate very well. It goes, yeah, yeah, because that's actually part of it too. That I thought about this all about what, when you have come, like when, 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 um, like here, here in Norway, we have these stories about uh, Espen Askelad, the Ash Lad. You probably find everybody when he wins the princess, which is it's like a, an uh, ordinary trope. He wins the princess, but then the story stops. But what then? Because then, <laughs> so then actually life begins, or there's another phase. But you never hear a story about that, uh, because then everything they lived happily ever after. Do they though? <laughs> it's uh, but it's uh, and, and but it's true. I thought a lot about that with the super movies, and also uh, uh, an author that I really lo love, uh, Alan Moore. He he oh, wrote something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you're looking too, huh? Oh yes, very much. Yeah, Yes, yes, yeah. I'm not surprised, but uh, it's uh, he, he, he. I don't know if you read that that he wrote something because, of course, he has been contributing a lot to the superhero genre with uh, several of his comic books and with Watchmen, uh, especially yeah. trying to really break it up. And um, 
but uh, he's, he's, he's really he's really uh, negative to that development. That I, it's all. I actually really just... like reading his grumpy old men interviews yes, or articles. Yes, where he just that. goes, ah, oh, this is all terrible. He's filling that role to perfection. <laughs> but, yeah, but uh, I do really uh, I do really appreciate him. He's one of my uh, my idols uh, in a way, or uh, yeah, one one of the people I look up to when it comes to uh, yeah storytelling in any medium in a way. Yeah. He's or got just, an extremely uh, expansive mind. Like you can just get lost yes. in in everything that so, Alan Moore does. Yeah, and he's very detail oriented. Extremely yes, as well. yeah. I picked up Jerusalem <laughs> recently, and uh, yes, this actually, is very detail oriented indeed. Yes, I and uh, to to make it yeah, and um, I I think it's not for everyone uh, that no. book. No, uh, just uh, like Voice I, of the I, Fire I, was. Which was yeah. also, I, yeah. Yeah, incidentally, Voice of the Fire, the, the podcast is named after an Alan Moore book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there we have it. Yeah, yeah. I have actually never read Voice of the Fire, but I read read with Jerusalem, and uh, it's um, uh, yeah. But I I I, I loved it, uh, but it wasn't easy. Uh, that's that's for sure. Uh, to but I, I went through a lot. I, I realized there, there's something that the, the story reflects also upon me as a reader and how I react to the texts. As, at least that's my impression after a while. And I felt more. I felt connected to the text as if, as if in these old. Uh, I mean, the, the first novels that came out, the author was basically in a way seeing the, their reader, and he was kind of communicating directly to the reader because also the first novels were in a way also read aloud, meant for reading aloud in this yeah, transitional yeah, phase, yeah. at least in some places in Europe. But I think there's, um, and I, uh, he, uh, yeah, uh, I like this attempt to try and this connection to, yeah, to to uh, to take texts and stories to new, to new levels, try, attempting that, and I think that's quite quite cool actually. Yeah, but, to um, make them grow with you, which is not not an easy thing. Like you have a story that you admire when you when you are younger, or that guides <laughs> you, but then. Yeah. You don't want to lose it in a way, so you you want to keep you want to have it develop alongside of you, and I think that's yeah. a lot of what, at least if I if I think about it objectively what I would do as a writer, if I if yeah. I write short stories, it's basically to keep uh, stories that I like alive in some form or just details okay. out of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but if we if we go back to uh, superhero <laughs> tales yes. or things like that again, they yeah. are um, or or even computer games because I I find that quite resonant the idea that um, an older tradition survives in uh, in computer games, especially in role play games or in these first person um, yeah. storytelling experiences, because it is mm. a more maybe because it is a more direct way of telling you a story. You are suddenly the hero, and you make the decisions. Yeah, um, so it impacts you in a different way, and uh, yeah, there is yes. that level of interaction. Yes, yeah. and I, yeah, yeah. Actually, some of my strongest emotional moments when I was growing up is is, is connected to computer games, and uh, as as again this mirror. Um, I, and I know I know people who play computer games more like uh, an. Um, Instru instrumentally or like as they oh let's see what we can get uh, out of this and mm. just try to think of it more like a system that they are they're exploring yeah but uh, I, I, I I'm I always get this emotional connection uh, mm. to whatever I to me it becomes just as real as I, I can't I can't kill anyone who doesn't deserve it uh, if I can avoid it it's it, I, it's uh, I actually feel it physically uh, in, in my body and I, it's uh, 
it's very um so i suppose yeah, it, you're, you're not playing the evil choices in most role playing no, games I, 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 no, I can't. No, I, I, can't, I, I really can't either. I have to work really hard to do that because you kind of go, okay. It has to be <laughs> an to be exercise good. of some sort to <laughs> make it. But it's, uh, it's very, very hard. Uh, which, um, yeah, so I, I do, I do t take, the, take that very seriously. But I, I take stories seriously too. Uh, that's probably why I love what I do. What I, do. I think it is, uh, what we tell is, is important. And uh, mm -hmm. So it, it feels like it's a simulation, but I feel that the simulation still reflects something. Not that I think it's you, you can't do that, and if you do that, it makes you a bad person. That's just how you are put together and how you react to things. And people react differently, of course. But um, and I, so, uh, but yeah, uh, telling stories is uh, it's something I, it's I've always known I wanted to do it. I just at the uh, of course, in Norway we have this. I didn't know that it was possible to. I thought I wanted to be a writer and uh, and an actor, and uh, or maybe jump the superhero thing now because now I'm going into this other Never journey. Mind. We can just go. We'll see. Never maybe mind. we come back to it. We'll see if we come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, uh, I wanted to be both an actor and an author, and um, uh, I kind of uh, then I then I because in Norway we are lucky enough to have uh, like a small a small like study. Um, like a, a, on a co college university level, uh, just just half a year, I took like a bachelor in drama and theater, and there's a half a year of of storytelling or the art of mm -hmm. storytelling. That's I think it started sometime in '92 or '94. I'm not totally sure, but uh, I think it was at least the first in Northern Europe to have a university level uh, uh, course, but only half a year. When I took that, I and I and suddenly I realized that uh, what I've always been doing, uh, I've been uh, when doing, I've done some live role-playing games as well, where you basically take on a costume and you go out into the forest and you play act. And I usually end up playing the storyteller in these cases several times. So you it's, can't uh, escape it. It's no, I can't escape it. That was from before, and then suddenly I came there and I realized people are actually making this a profession. People are doing this kind of old thing in a new context, and then I. Uh, that, that's when I suddenly realized I that's, this is what I've always been doing and wanting to do. And this is maybe the the way of combining the skills that I have or the the, the passions that I have in a, in the best possible way. Uh, because uh, I didn't, I, I never, I, I couldn't act in in. I realized that my skills as an actor wasn't uh, good enough that I could do anything. I just had to be connected to the story. Otherwise, I uh, I, I was really bad at just. Uh, I, just getting you know this is the job and do it and um, I wasn't disciplined enough to start writing so <laughs> maybe but then uh, but uh, in that story I actually tried my hand at film as well uh, and which um, uh, we managed to produce this low-budget movie at once and uh, which came onto cinema it was so much work that at the end I thought I will I'm, I only want poor man cinema now and I only want myself I don't want any <laughs> I just went to the core, to the like the, the basics, and I, um, yeah, and I've loved that ever since. To do, to do that. To but do in uh, in Norway, yeah. uh, hmm? go ahead. No, I was thinking in in, in Norway. There's um, there's, uh, I mean, there's quite a few that uh, go through this. There are some that go through this uh, this education every every year, and several of them do tend to stay in the in the profession. Many librarians and uh, priests and teachers take the study and use it as a combination of other things. And so there is quite a big um, 
environment, uh, or relatively speaking, uh, because of because of the fact that we have the the university or the college university connected. So uh, uh, it feels like there's always like this. It's probably different in other countries, I think, but. Uh, that's that's basically uh, uh, marks a bit of the storytelling feeling that we have in Norway. Yeah, not that many work professionally 100%, but still there is a lot of the, there's a lot of listeners and but that comes from having gone through that uh, that channel, in a way. Mm. Yeah, it's more present in 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 traditional storytelling. Seems to be more present in Norwegian culture. I don't know if there's another yeah. country that offers a university course in storytelling even if it's just a shorter one um i don't know i think th i think they do they it in berlin be. now really okay yeah. Uh, yeah do you know ranghild mörk no i don't she's uh, well she's german half norwegian uh, but i i'm uh, she 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 uh, teaches storytelling in in berlin actually but okay. it's it's relatively it's some years not not too many years ago it started but uh yeah so there is something there uh, on that level, but uh, yeah, that's that, that's the only thing, only thing I know about because I know her. Yeah, mm. yeah, I can imagine there might be something in the U.S., but usually it's it's more common that you just look for workshops or look for your own teachers. Yeah. For usually, and, and mainly that's the main expertise comes from that anyway. That you yeah. really that the 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 actual uh, actual work and the experience from that. That's where I get it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. That's like the the community of storytellers has always been that people would just yeah, travel around, listen to other people's stories, pick them up, or you know, yeah. pick their brains. <laughs> and that's really lovely as well. I uh, this this feeling of of traveling on the road and just and you, and you meet storytellers and uh, we are there is a certain uh, there's a certain connection between us because in a, we have we have the same. Uh, there's a, there's a similar, a similar heart there, and a similar, similar just perspective. That yeah, the uh, same sort of madness. <laughs> the same sort of madness that makes you think. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you feel slightly more normal. For the first time, you realize that's what normalcy feels like. Wow. No, that sounds very sad. Not at all. It doesn't feel like that at all, at least not in my experience. But it is a kinship. It's an immediate kinship. You, you recognize each other. It's a good, uh, that's a good word, a kinship. That's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, are we? Okay, uh, so we have, I mean, I mean, what I always come across is that many people who do storytelling have a background in acting or in, in other yeah. sort of performative arts. Yeah. Um, many more than people who come from writing, like, like I do, so that's always interesting to me. For you, it, it obviously yeah. gives you a greater advantage, or you're used to the stage. And, and you're used to, yeah. to structuring and pacing a, a performance. Yeah. Um, how would you? Um, I mean, but well, do you think there is a better road to it, or is it? Does it? Does it matter where you come from? Does it matter what your background is? Will that reflect in in the performances or in the kind of stories that you tell? Do, do you mean that there is there like a, an optimal road to it? Not necessarily. Uh, so I don't think there is an sorry, optimal but, uh, road. But but, well, Does one way lead to a slightly different place on the spectrum than the other? Probably, probably. I mean, uh, yeah, I have more of the stage thing in me, and I, but I also, 
have also more of a literary bent maybe as well because I told you I wanted to be both an author and an actor and I think yeah. that also reflects like also, especially my solo shows can sometimes I mean um, uh, they can uh, parts of them can feel more uh, maybe uh, maybe more more inspired by literature than as, as you said you said that they felt like novels exactly and in a yeah. way maybe that, that, that is probably true I think I, I'm in I'm kind of partly inspired by both those fields uh, since I wanted to be both um, and um, so yes, I I, I do uh, uh, I, I do love words and wordplay and uh, and uh, and uh, this kind of uh, const- constructions of, of of sentences and using words. I mean, I, I'm also very fascinated by the fact that actually, you know, uh, words and text in the beginning was viewed as magic because, in a way, by naming the world, you created the world, and I I, I kind of. Okay. I'm a bit inspired by those. That 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 is pretty old, a long time ago, of course, but but it, it's still true to a sense. We've just forgotten about it. It still happens to it. every human being when they learn to speak and when they learn to exactly uh, uh, perception into language. Yes, exactly, and that's that is that is magic. And I, um, but I, so so definitely it, it has an effect on it. And and people often ask that same say, uh, oh, you are you have a, a an acting you must have an acting background. Uh, people say well uh, after sometimes not always but that is that is something I've heard. So I guess it of course affects it. There's always this debate that that I know is going on back and forth about uh, you know how to differentiate storytelling from acting and and um, and to make it clear like that. And uh, uh, I've I've never maybe. I, I to be to be frank, I, I don't really care so much personally about it. Uh, this kind of to differentiate that myself. Um, I'm not saying I, I don't think it has any value to, to do that at all. And I'm, but I, I notice maybe because I'm not so uh, because I don't also with the truth and the fiction. For me, the borders doesn't don't. I'm not so. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I think main the main question for me is: Does it work? Does it convey what you wanted to do? Does it uh, does it is your intention made manifest through this this work that you did yeah. like uh, and um, and of course but of course it's, it's clear that um, what I what I uh, what I do what you do learn which puts me on another track a bit but what you do learn of course by by being a being a storyteller and working with these different contexts all the time is that you really do learn to to fine-tune yourself to different audiences and that uh, you learn when you are really missing the mark, when you really shoot yeah. and you don't hit the audience or the room at all. Like if you act as if you are on a big stage when you're in a small room, or uh, I've I've done some mistakes like that in the beginning of the career, which which each one when you really miss, that's one of the worst things to do. And um, I once actually performed. There was this music festival, uh, like in the streets of Oslo in the February cold. Like a lot of new newer bands uh, that were just out and playing in all different kind of venues, and there was this artist program, like street artist program, where you could apply. And I applied for storyteller, and then uh, I was asked to basically tell stories based on the bands and stuff like that. Mm. And I said, of course, yeah, I can do anything, uh, being very flexible. Uh, and but none of those stories actually had. I didn't have my heart connected to it, so they were really bad actually. Well, and I was standing on the street uh, with a sign that I, I'll tell you a story and. Uh, Everyone looked at me like I was a beggar in the February cold, and I was freezing. And in the end, I started telling instead of telling the stories based on the band, started telling stories that were like old Sufi or Zen stories instead. And then people would listen. And then I realized this is what I want to do. But I also remember going on stage before like this folk, uh, folk pop rock band, uh, based like you know the mix mix of folk and and pop from Norway. 
And uh, I told this story, which always used to work. But I came up, and uh, it wasn't announced, and people didn't know what to expect. And then, then that story fell so totally flat. People just looked at me like the strangest person ever. And I remember going down after after no applause, and I, I was going on for 15 minutes, <laughs> and I didn't have the understanding to stop. And I just felt like I just, and of course my energy just f- f- fell, 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 and this really feeling of falling into a hole. And I remember standing. Uh, I was. Uh, I remember really standing in a in a in a Seven Eleven actually, <laughs> very specifically, and thinking, I can't do this. this is uh, I have to give up. I'm terrible. I have, to, I have to stop my career. And then it took some time. And I realized, okay, I understood the analysis kicked in. I understood there was the, the context. It was totally, and I I got I didn't I didn't quit luckily. But uh, I think those those experiences of really failure. I, I really really thought a lot about that too in general, but also. An expression of art and storytelling that to really fail is such a such a blessing for everything to really allow yourself to fail uh, and uh, accept that failure is there because you learn so much from that and uh, so it's uh, I had a beautiful moment now just uh, just after I met you when we were touring in, in the UK and I went back to do a little gig in the north and in, in the mid middle Norway and I was telling a story, and I was so tired after being on the road for a month with these three troubadours. And I was telling my story, and I knew the story very well, but I was more like, uh, you know, telling it from memory because I was kind of. And then I just um, suddenly I, what do you call? It? I mean, you, you just I just blanked. Yeah. I didn't know what. Uh, yeah, there was. Uh, and the, the the interesting thing was that I I had no there was no panic. I was just okay. I'm blank, and I said, oh, I blanked. And I was standing there. I was like, the, I was like the headliner in a way, you know. <laughs> Everyone was, I was giving all this. Yeah, this is the great one. I was, I was like failing totally. And I thought, oh, this is that's happening for a long time. Okay, well, that's interesting. Let's see where was I? And I, but I, no, I can't. I know the story, but I have. And I was going on for two minutes, and I was uh, totally calm. And I was really thinking, wow, I'm calm. What's happened? <laughs> and uh, after that, uh, I, I realized that uh, well, there are things happening because I mean, in the beginning. Every time I did a story in the beginning, I was think I was I was sure that everyone hated it. It's probably a psychological thing that uh, there's a lot of things going on, but that's that's me. That's my own personal journey. But I but this was uh, and, that, and then actually the thing is that what happens there I'm I'm kind of meandering a bit. But what happened there with uh, what pe- everyone talked about after was not my story, but they talked about that that moment of truth where I blanked. And everyone thought it was such a beautiful moment, and they felt actually a bit uh, like ah, they felt a bit uh, you know released in themselves because a lot of people are afraid of that. <laughs> so in a way, that was uh, totally unintentional and uh, not the story at all. But it became uh, that's that's what everyone remembered, and uh, my story was forgotten. <laughs> but those two mo- two minutes of truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unintentional and, uh, therapy. And unintentional therapy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Slight, uh, yeah, mini catharsis. <laughs> yeah. But um, but but there's always new discoveries to be made, and um, trying not to be complacent and some and, and, and looking for new ways to go with the stories and uh, to challenge challenge myself. I think that's 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 I think that's important with everything, but also with with storytelling and uh, yeah. Uh, and right now I'm in this mid mid-place where I'm really thinking I should get this big big story I told you about up yeah. and running and make concrete plans for it and I think in a way and uh, where I'm just having all projects but this is now the big thing that I'm now now I'm re- getting ready to to launch it so I will 
at, at least uh, make make a pilot out of it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where I am at the moment. Absolutely busy, and I think the the experience with a big project is interesting because it uh, it I know it from mostly from writing not from storytelling but it's like it's, yeah. a, it's a bit like um, uh, a Sisyphean work but only for the first yeah, yeah, third yeah. or so you kind of push the rock you push the rock you push the rock and then at some point you realize oh no the rock is rolling down the other side and then you can just hold <laughs> yes. on to the rock and try not to get smashed because at some point it takes on a life of its own and it, it just works with it does. you does. you, you yeah, it bring does. it to a certain point and it says well I'll take over I'll go from here you just follow me yeah. But then, yes, exactly. then again, I think you have to, when you reach the end you, or closer to the end, you have to take control again and realize, okay, that's yes, where I want yes. it to go. And so yeah, it's... And a, that's where I'm at, so, yeah. But it gives I you a, the stages, so. a strange sense mm. of direction that lacks sometimes, mm. especially if you work in many different smaller projects. Like you go, oh, mm. what am I doing this? What am I doing that? And then you have this big thing and you realize, well, mm. that's, that's my life for the next two years or so. And everything else mm -hmm. is kind of coincidental. So mm -hmm. it can be a very a calming experience. Yeah, yeah, it can be. I actually, it's interesting. My 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 work, the the way way my work is uh, sched scheduled is more like it's more about these small projects. But what I really enjoy the most is this going deepening uh, process of just going into this this one world, if you will, one story or one mm -hmm. one set of things and exploring uh, exploring that fully and then. It. That's my that's my ideal way of working as well. Is that is that the same for you or? Uh... Uh, sometimes it depends on on the moment and it depends on my emotional state and depends on what has happened. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. um, and right now yeah. it is a good thing to do. Right now I'm happy. I'm I'm writing a, a book. I think I mentioned it and it's getting larger and larger and I do quite enjoy yes, that yes. because yeah. I can focus on that one story and don't have to worry about oh there's so many small things that I have to care about while at other times it is very nice you go off, you kind of jump from one thing to the next never yeah. there's never a moment of boredom and then that's good yeah. again but these are phases and periods I think they are they are they are yes, absolutely they are. I think the, the the big project is certainly a worthwhile thing because um, this might tap into uh, the, the psyche of quite a lot of people in their 30s now. Um, yeah. I, I noticed that with my friends or with many of my friends who are more towards the literary or fantasy or, or these things, that they um, they seem to be in a strange place where they are mm -hmm. they are adults, but they're not adults at the same time. Yes, and they, yes it's, they, true. It, it's true. It, but it, there, there seems to be so little incentive to become an adult nowadays. Yeah, it's it's actually yeah. We don't really have any uh, proper uh, like uh, rituals of uh, of adulthood. Maybe that uh, yeah, no more rites of passage. That would be true. Yeah, that's what I mean, rites of passage exactly. And I and I thought about and actually in the computer games uh, there is a rite of passage, but it's only happening on the screen. It's not, it, it happens on a on a smaller level in you, but and I think actually in one way. Uh, I think when I when I analyze myself and my own actions, I think I was in a way my working with this performance is me trying to create this rite of passage for myself. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, that's just that's a theory. I don't know if that's that's the case, but it's one way of looking at it. That's I'm kind of like trying to make my own hero's journey to actually become adult, <laughs> or like to get out of that. Uh, to get like to the next stage of of, yes. of childhood, <laughs> probably. Approaching forty, and uh, 
but uh, yeah, so um, uh, but it, but it is very interesting. And as, going back to that superhero thing, what, what also the grumpy old man Al Moore says about it, it speaks about a culture where we are kind of not kind of refusing to grow up properly. Yeah. Uh, or or not refusing. It's just that no, there is something. There is there is no incentive. Uh, there is exactly. no. There's there is the, nothing positive that would come out of becoming the the traditional no, idea of an adult. At least for many people, yeah, there's, it there's seems no, so. so. There's no value uh, uh, attached to it, and there's only the value attached to be to the, to the youth, and so we try to stretch that out. But I and also I think, yeah. think that as long as as you insist on that adulthood is leaving behind fantasy, which I, I think it is mm. not, uh, it is, is, not. is the way to adulthood, then of course people would cling to that or seem to be clinging to mm. that from the perspective of somebody who thinks that, mm. okay, now I leave all these fantasies behind these stupid ideas of my childhood yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. replace them with other stupid ideas, probably. <laughs> so yes. it's look, look where that's got us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the US is run by a child. And, and, uh, but it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, I reacted to that. This, there was this, uh, this, this politician in, in, in Norway who wrote in the newspaper right now that he's one year older than me, and he, he said that uh, he, he called himself Hallgammel, which means semi-old, you know, halfway old. It's a very derogative term, which says like you are nothing when you are in this age, in a way. That's what, that's the impression. Yeah, yeah. I think this keeping the 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 child there is to keep the child or the positive aspects of the child, that inner child, the the the, the, the that wonder and uh, exactly not. That that's what that's what that's what also why I love the stories that they are to to keep and to to share that wonder that I that I felt as a child and I, which is still true that is true I I have changed I am not I know more I'm uh, hopefully more responsible but I don't I don't think you should because because yeah the cl classical idea of just leaving that child behind because you don't need it you need it you need it in the world and I think as has happened before with the stories that I I do prefer. I really like telling for adults also because I've, I've heard several times that you get someone coming up to you and say, I didn't know that I missed this, mm. that I was missing this, like that's being lovely. told stories. And that, that's a really uh, beautiful thing, a beautiful message. And um, yeah, so that, that, that just keeps... Uh, I also remember there's something you can sometimes... I remember telling a story um, way up in the north several years ago when I was just starting out and I was telling a story with a microphone it was windy and there was all this like this huge amount of elderly people listening to me with a big distance behind and I felt really like unbalanced and I told a story which was like uh, a mix where I actually used my own dream and connected to to to, to superheroes and uh, some mythology I was experimenting a lot which meant a lot to me but I felt like I didn't reach them at all I was like a totally wrong audience and I was really again feeling a bit down because you want really to connect and then then the sound technician when he was drunk he came over to me uh, at night and he just grabbed me and he said that story really hit me <laughs> that's the only story during and then I said okay if I only hit one but I hit him in that way or I connected that way then it was worth it <laughs> and then sometimes that can happen you can maybe just really <laughs> pinpoint uh, yeah there, there's some some so uh, it's that's that's always interesting how 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 your stories resonate and who it resonates with and all that. But uh, it's a it's a lifelong exploration and and the delight, I think. So uh, I'm I, I yeah, to have found this profession is or that it found me. It's uh, it's a really a, a blessing I think uh, to 
one, yeah, the only word I can think of at the moment. Mm. Well, you probably worked hard at, at um, finding it or to prepare yourself for it finding you. So it's not just a yes, coincidence. It's not a coincidence. No, I don't think it's a coincidence. No, it was when you look when you look back, then you see the red thread. Of course, that there is a connection, but in the moment at the time, I didn't I didn't get it. But uh, now I see everything in a way led up to it. It's a combination of the, the passions and the skills that came with it. And uh, yeah. Do you so want, it's lovely. Do you want yeah. to talk about the collaborations that you do? Because that is one aspect that I yes. think is very important, especially in a, in a relatively small niche world like storytelling, that people yeah. work together and collaborate. And I've yes. seen you've done quite a number of these collaborations. I mean, there's the, there are the three troubadours, for one thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have had a, a podcast conversation with Marcus. So by the time people yes. listen to that, they will have already heard about Marcus and yes, have yes. heard him. But you have yeah. done some others as well. Yes, I have a, uh, I have a very, very long-standing collaboration with a, with a Norwegian storyteller who's actually uh, originally Iranian. Uh, his name is Amir. He's uh, he's like um, he's from the he's a veteran from the Iran-Iraq War on the Iranian side, and he uh, he has storytelling also in his blood. And he came as a refugee uh, to Norway in 1987, so he's uh, stayed here longer than he was in Iran. But um, uh, we started working together when he was trying to use you know tell tell his story from the war from from the war basically when he was in his early 20s. But they, he got some money, but he found out that he couldn't do it alone. It was too much. So his producer contacted they contacted me, and uh, we worked together. So I became kind of like a, a co-player, a co-interpreter of his story, but also like a witness to his story, like also like a window for the Western audience into his. And I had to learn a lot about Iranian culture and politics to 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 understand and to be able to, be able to filter and to be kind of like a translator between him yeah. and, and a Western audience in a way, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, it's a um, fascinating history that the country has, a very tumultuous and uh, very, very much. Uh, often contradictory history. Extremely. I, I've been there once uh, and uh, I felt it was a place filled with contradictions. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, <coughs> yeah, so it's... Um, and he said something which also I think connects to a lot of this thing about co collaborating and, and being together because when we are working together two different generations there's 19 years between us and two different you know cultural backgrounds and different temperaments as well uh, but still in a, in, a, in, a, in a brotherhood kind of way like also with the three troubadours in a sense but uh, even more so with the contrast are even bigger with me and him um, then we are also telling a story that is not the story that we're telling, but it's like a like a meta story, if you will, about about in a way, uh, yeah, you know, brotherhood on, between that there, that we are that there is something similar to us, even though we come from these different places, and, and the, that the connection that we have is also it, it speaks on a different level as well. And I think, and he said something to, after the end of that performance that um, uh, the first time we showed it that. Uh, he he's he had this image of people uh, like bubbles or like some kind of circles floating around, and that some bubbles had very sharp edges or that they would bounce against each other when they met. But he wanted to try to make himself so soft as possible so that he could basically uh, melt into a bit other bubbles so that he could connect in that way. And I felt that he was opening up his world to me, and I was allowed to to come in and and to see it and help. In a way, again, he opened up a big world. And I that I and I really loved seeing that world and going into all the details. And now I feel that his life, in a way, is my own. 
in a way. Like, uh, I feel like a story is part of me. I feel that his life is part of me, which is kind of interesting. I, I know, of course, rationally that I haven't experienced any of that, but I, I feel that it's also my experience because I speak in a way as if I am him also on the on stage. And that's that's an interesting, and I think it's, that's also a, a good an important thing to do in a world where uh, as a, as a, to, to connect uh, where, where we put up walls and uh, to really really connect to people but I, I've also done collaborations with um, musicians and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and dancers as well uh, different uh, stages some children's performances I just did one today with a musician who's an improv musician actually mm-hmm. so he does uh, uh, improv and noise musician but he also can play uh, he also plays guitar quite well and uh, so we made like a music we are kind of like uh, and that's also good when you have a very good chemistry with someone and, and then you yeah. become because he loves improv he, he always do, does new things when we do it so I'm always kept on my toes in a way <laughs> and that's uh, that's that's also nice uh, so we've done two kids performances together, uh, where we uh, where we try to where there's always a level of improvisation involved, and uh, like it feels like jamming in a way, even though we are two different uh, expressions. But there's always that's the, the personal connection, which is nice. I always thought think about this idea that when you collaborate with someone, you don't, it's it's good not to be that you focus on oh I am the main act. But uh, I always wanted to try to go for that. There is a equilibrium, equality, or that you become, you're, you're become part of the same product in a way. That there's not one who's supposed to shine and one who's accompanying. That's okay too. But I, I'm, I'm drawn towards that. Not always succeeding in it, but I'm drawn towards that idea. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and so. But collaborations are quite beautiful, especially when you collaborate with other artist groups, because it really makes you think outside your own box and uh, challenge you in new, new and exciting ways, and uh, new ways of how can I adapt my skills in this new context and uh, without taking too much space, but still being uh, uh, equal. Definitely. So. Uh, and also, how, how, what, what sort of, um, what, what they can bring to a particular story or to a particular idea? Because quite often, music can enhance it or can create a whole different scene yeah. and atmosphere, or even dance yeah. can tell part of the story. I always found it can, that yeah. fascinating that you just shut up for a moment, you stop talking, and you let somebody else carry on with the tale. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it does work. I mean, I haven't quite found the perfect way to do it, but. Yeah. yeah, because you've done it as well, huh? Yeah, yeah I've done it as well. Work with dancers and musicians, mm. yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and my 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 uh, dream is that there would be a story where they all take equal part and they all tell a part of the yes. tale, and it's clear yes. what they tell. And I, I yeah. don't know. I haven't managed to do that yet, but um, oh, I, I I share that dream, and yeah. I haven't managed it either. So <laughs> let's tell each other when we when we, <laughs> when we come close. We'll never build. Yeah. Always be this. <laughs> well, we, we, we might come a little bit closer to it. <laughs> I That's talked to another to storyteller about it that the the ideal performance would be one of almost complete silence. That you you, you yeah. continue to reduce yourself so much that at some point it will just be you know an hour of almost perfect silence and everybody goes away completely satisfied. <laughs> it was so filled, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, 
it's interesting. You, you choose this small niche. You feel it's a small niche with the storytelling, and it's not at all because it's just it opens everything you choose. Just opens up like this. Uh, uh, what do you call that? This, uh, this fractal. Uh, I sometimes feel like whatever you do is still like a fractal fractal image. That you, when you zoom in, there's always more and more and more. And yeah. especially with this profession as well. I've I've done it now for. I started out really uh, 11 years ago and uh, full time since 2009. But it's always. It's like this feeling of exploration, and I, I, I do like that. It's like uh, going into a computer game and <laughs> exploring new worlds. That's one metaphor. There are other metaphors as well, but um, yeah. So um, no, it's definitely great. I mean, I, I, it's probably hard to believe on some days that this is what you're actually doing. You're saying, "Oh, I get to explore my mind, and I'm getting paid for it." <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. where do I sign up? And this is this is a, a wonderful thing to do. Thank you very, very much for listening to this episode of Voice of the Fire. And as always, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed it, if you liked it, tell someone about it. Put up a link on Facebook. Do whatever you can to make sure that other people are listening to the podcast. I will put up in the description of this episode links to Clover Connect and Torgrim's website, as well as to the other projects that were mentioned during this podcast. And I hope to see all of you again next time when I'm going to talk to Mikhail Öberg from Sweden.